amen. Our sermon text this evening is on the heels of what was preached this morning, this from 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18, covering verses 1 to 9, if you're using one of the black Bibles and the chairs, this is on page 200, I believe. Hear now this, the word of the triune God. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Let's please be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful again for these Old Testament examples we have before us. I pray that you will encourage Christ's sheep tonight. I pray that you use me despite myself and that your name will be honored, that sinners will be saved. We pray in Christ's name. So this morning, we were in 1 Samuel 17. That's the classic story that many of us have heard. David versus Goliath. And here we have what happens immediately afterwards. David is brought into Saul's house, in a sense. There's there's an adoption of sorts, if you notice in verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Well, that soon changes, but that's what happens initially. What we see in this text, even here, just verses 1 to 9, is we really see in this short section, a, a, a breaking of, of two paths. There are two ways to respond to David, just as there are two ways to respond to Christ. And this chapter makes that clear. We see that Saul despises David while Jonathan loves David. And these two men, as a result of their varying allegiances, have a very different end. So tonight we'll consider these two men and the two ways of life they showcase. And as I said this morning, these Old Testament examples are given to us for our instruction. 
This morning, we considered the very good example of David. And this evening, we're going to consider another good example, this time in Jonathan. We'll also briefly consider a poor example. We're given those two for the same reason that we may learn from God what we shall not do. A bit of background to begin Speaking of Saul first, Saul sinned against God. He was first made king, and then later he sinned against God in such an egregious way that the kingdom was taken from him. 1 Samuel 15 speaks of this. I'll read some of these verses. For the prophet Samuel confronts Saul. Saul makes an illegitimate sacrifice in order to get favor from God, but Saul is not a priest. He is not to make a sacrifice. And Saul defends himself in front of Samuel, and he says, I have obeyed the, the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. So Samuel said, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great of delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity. And idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And then Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. But Samuel says to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And this is when Samuel turns to walk away, and Saul seizes him. He seizes the edge of the robe, and it tears. And Samuel then says to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So that's the background of Saul. Now, a bit of background for David. David is anointed by the Spirit of God. This is in 16... Samuel goes, he finds Jesse and his sons at the instruction of the Lord, and God says to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel goes, he takes the horn of oil, he anoints him in the midst of his brother, and the spirit of the Lord comes upon David. So there's an exchange here that takes place. The spirit of the Lord is departing from Saul, and it's coming upon David. David will be the king, Saul will have his kingdom removed. Both of them know that the prophet has done something significant. And from this point forward, Saul will slowly lose the kingdom. David, little by little, will gain favor. He'll gain men. Now, beginning in chapter 18, we have the events that take place right after this defeat of Goliath. So two headings only tonight. We're going to consider both the good example and the bad example First, the good example, I'm going to title the heading in this way, the man who delights in God's servant will dine at his table. You delight in the Lord, you dine at his table. The man who delights in God's servant will dine 
at his table. In this narrative, Jonathan rejoices in David. You see this here in the beginning of the chapter. And David is God's servant. It's very obvious to all of Israel at this point that David is special, that he's chosen. Jonathan seems to have already realized this in greater measure than others. He realizes David will be king, and that will become even more apparent to Jonathan later. Jonathan recognizes this, and he rejoices And this, too, is even more explicit in later chapters. And this, to me, as I was reading David versus Goliath, and you flip the chapter and you see this, is most remarkable. Jonathan is humble. More than that, he he loves David and he he knits himself to David. David. I want to consider Jonathan in, in all of these ways. What makes a man rejoice or delight in God's servant? These are the things that Jonathan possesses, possesses. I have listed here three qualities that make him rejoice in David. Three qualities only. It's not exhaustive. But the first is his humility. And this is what I think is most remarkable. Jesus was impressed with humility. So was Paul. Remember how Paul speaks of Timothy? He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And and you have to pause there because Paul had a lot of companions. He had a number of people going with him. But he highlights Timothy and he says, this guy is going to be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is remarkable because of his other-centeredness. I think Jonathan possesses this. And this is remarkable. Jonathan's humility is remarkable. And it's especially praiseworthy given the circumstances. Consider who Jonathan is. First of all, David is a young guy, perhaps an older teenager. And Jonathan is significantly older. So an older man is going to recognize this very young man and pledge himself to him. That takes a lot of humility. But, but even more, Jonathan is the son of the king and the heir to the throne. So consider that too. What does it take for the prince to submit himself to this newcomer, this young guy? And even more than that, Jonathan himself has been a great warrior. You know this story, perhaps. Jonathan goes up and strikes down many Philistines, just himself and his armor bearer. David, I'm sorry, Jonathan says, let us cross over to these men. They kind of break away from the rest of the army, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand, not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. And before this, Jonathan says that nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan is an experienced warrior. Would you not be covetous? This young guy comes, and he's adopted into your household. He's going to marry your sister. He's going to take over the throne that belongs to you. And by the way, he's much younger than you. 
Jonathan could tout the fact that he goes up, he climbs on his hands and knees with his armor bearer, and they come after him, and Jonathan and his armor bearer kill many Philistines. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men. So two on 20. Jonathan could brag about that. He doesn't do it. He's a warrior himself, but he's humble and he submits himself. So how does one get that humble? How, how are you willing to, to stoop yourself? I think this is a different topic. I'm not going to dwell here, but th- this, is an, this is an interesting topic and one I think we should meditate upon. Jonathan, I think, is so zealous for the glory of God that it has produced in him a unique sort of humility. Jonathan wants to go fight the Philistines because he wants God's name to be made known among all nations. And so when David comes along and he has this same zeal, Jonathan is excited and knits himself to David. So he and David are of the same mind. This pursuit of God's glory helps Jonathan humble himself and submit himself to David. Another thing about Jonathan is that Jonathan loves David. It's not just that he's humble. He has an affection, a love, a care, a concern for David. The words are written there, the beginning of the chapter. It says this, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Consider that. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is what we are told that we must do. This is a fulfilling of the second greatest commandment. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And here's a record of someone in Scripture actually doing that. They covenant together. David says later on that Jonathan's love has been greater to him than that of a woman. This affection they have, David and Jonathan, it's a covenantal love, and this, this covenant keeping, it produces in them a sweet affection, even among men. Think of how they achieve that, though. There's a common goal. There's a common purpose. And when men or women, when they have this common purpose, this common goal, this sort of friendship is possible. This sort of affection for one another is possible. You only see this after both of them are zealous for the glory of God. It says Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. And just a quick note on that word. This word knit is used in the New Testament in several places. I want to highlight one. Because we can, we can look at David and Jonathan, and this is, their friendship is sort of famous in Scripture, and we can sort of look at it from a distance and say, wow, that's special. That'd be neat if I could have something like that. But I, I want to state here that this sort of knitting together is possible, and it's actually something that we should strive for, not just one-to-one, but at, corporately, as a body, as a church, as a local body. We covenant together, don't we? We have a church covenant that we read from. We meet together. We strive together for the same common purpose. We are zealous for the glory of God. We have all of these preconditions that David and Jonathan have. So we too should be striving for a very 
close sort of relationship. We should knit ourselves together. Listen to this from Ephesians 4. This is speaking of spiritual gifts, but then you'll, you'll hear this word knit as I go further down in the selection. Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up. So here, here's the image. We all have different gifts, and we're, we're in this together, and we are to grow up in all things into him, who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And then the passage goes on. We are to cause growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this is a New Testament principle. Jonathan and David did have a special friendship, but this isn't something other that we can't strive for. We are to strive to knit our hearts together. Note also that Jonathan takes off his robe and gives it to David and immediately, when I, when I hear that, when someone takes off their robe, I think of Jesus the night before he was crucified when he went to wash his disciples' feet. He, he takes off his outer garment. He disrobes himself, and he set it aside, and he stoops down, humbles himself, and washes feet. So Jonathan here is imitating the love and servant-heartedness of Christ, Alistair Roberts says this shows Jonathan is willing to relinquish his role and his status as the son of the king. And that sounds familiar too. Reminds me of Philippians 2. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So when Jesus becomes incarnate and he comes down here, he's, he's humbling himself. Though God is willing to come down, though Jonathan, the son of the king, he's willing to disrobe himself and give this honor to David. Another note about Jonathan is his faith. Jonathan has strong faith. He knows this principle that we've talked about, that God fights on his people's behalf. This is why he climbed up to fight the men that he did. It was strong faith. The reason he did it is he said that the Lord will work for us. Nothing restrains the Lord, whether it be by many or by few. That's how two defeat 20. It's by faith. Jonathan also had faith that David will be king, and he blesses David in such a way that he shows this. He says to David in chapter 20, The Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. So Jonathan is already setting up an inheritance of sorts. He's saying, even if I die, your throne is going to continue, and I want you to honor me and my lineage that we may be with you. Jonathan is setting this up early on. He has faith. Saul does not have this sort of faith. Jonathan loves David. He has faith that God will honor David, and he has great humility. And Jonathan is rewarded. Jonathan never forsakes David. He perseveres and continues to show him covenantal love until the day he dies, and he's rewarded for it. You could read this remarkable story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, a, a wonderful story. I won't be able to get into all the details. After Jonathan's death and after David has become king, David goes inquiring because he wants to honor Jonathan. And he says, is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David remembers what Jonathan asked of him. Remember me. You're going to be king. Remember me. Remember my family. Be a blessing to us. And then later, a servant finds that there is indeed a descendant of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. And the king says to him, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth has a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. It's a hard word. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He ate continually at the king's table. And this is the man who was lame in both Feet. So Jonathan is rewarded. He delights in God's servant David. And as a result of delighting in God's servant David, he, through his descendants, dines at the table of the king continually. He who honors the king is shown honor by the king. This is a principle we hear from Christ. Whoever honors the son will be honored by the father. Whoever names Christ's name before men will have their own names in heaven with God at his table. We see the same principle with Jonathan. And before moving on to Saul, um, I have a bit uh, of calling this an excursus. Not very long, but an excursus of sorts. I've heard this quote, you may have heard it, that you should strive to be a Jonathan in a world full of Davids. I don't know if any of you have heard that. I've heard that. Be a Jonathan in a world full of Davids. And I've heard that, and I think that what people mean is that everyone wants to be prominent. Uh, everyone wants to be glorious in victory. And that's, that's true. Who doesn't? Um, and, and people who use this quote, I think they mean well by it. But I think it's misguided. As I stated in this morning's sermon, we should all strive to be like David. Inasmuch as David imitates Christ, and my argument tonight is similar, we should all strive to be like Jonathan, inasmuch as he imitates Christ. They highlight different aspects of submission to Christ. Calling is key, and that's what we have to keep in mind. What is your calling? Both of these men knew their calling. So what is your calling, believer? 
What is God asking you, you specifically? What's he want you to do? David and Jonathan both were faithful to God. They were not free from sin, but both needed righteousness from God. Both were given the Spirit, and both men, by the Spirit, served God. The difference is that the Spirit of God had one role for David and another for Jonathan. So consider your calling this week and know that God will be pleased with your repentance, faith, and faithfulness to the mission he has called us unto. It's right to imitate David. It's right to imitate Jonathan. We don't need to sort of make this dichotomy. I don't think that's helpful. I think it's right to look at these good examples. It's like, man, Jonathan really imitates Christ, doesn't he? David really imitates Christ, doesn't he? And then we pick up from there and we pursue our own calling. Well, let's now consider Saul. I'm going to call this heading, the man who detests God's servants will be denied the table. You detest, you are denied. The man who detests God's servant will be denied his table. What are the qualities of Saul? What are the qualities of one who rejects God's servant? First, he was covetous. It's made clear. The ladies come and they're, 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 they're singing. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And Saul got angry. The saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the king? This angered him. They're making poetry, and David is emphasized more than he is. The commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. We could say, you shall not covet your neighbor's position, his job. In 1 Corinthians 6, we learned that the covetous, they do not inherit the kingdom. They are unrighteous. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be sieved. And they're listed with other sinners. They're listed with fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Covetousness is a very, very serious sin. And Saul and his covetousness really bring him down. Later, Saul promises to give his daughter to David if he takes a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, and David actually does it. And when David has this great victory again over the Philistines, verse 28 says this, Saul knew that the Lord was with David, and that his daughter loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. David is getting honor and this glory. And then it says that Saul eyed David. Uh, Growing up, whether it was in the neighborhood or a park, 
older men, it didn't even have to be your dad. They would just go like this, like, they'd see a boy just walking down the street. You could be doing nothing. And they would just, I got my eye on you. I got my eye on you. I think that's what's going on here. Saul has his eye on David. He's waiting for his opportunity to take him down. Saul lacks faith. He made use of unauthorized sacrifices. We read this earlier. Samuel ends up saying to him, you have done foolishly. That's putting it lightly, and then this is why the kingdom is removed from him. Later, Saul lacks such faith that he consults a medium. He just keeps going down this path. If you read the book, you just see Saul just getting slowly and slowly, slowly more dark. And in the end, Saul falls on his own sword. They're having a battle. He gets wounded, and I think this is shameful, isn't it? And he just, he just ends it himself. He doesn't want them to do it. Nah, I'm going to fall on my own sword. And he falls on his own sword. His name is a byword. It's a byword. David assumes his throne. Saul and his sons die the same day. And in that sense, Jonathan and Saul, they do share a similar fate. But only one of them is honored in Scripture as a faithful servant of God. So Saul and Jonathan, in conclusion, they they offer two very different responses to God's rightful King David. Saul chose to dishonor God, and in the end, he falls on his own sword. Jonathan chooses to honor God, and in the end, he has a descendant dining with the king. And that's our choice today. It's always the choice in every age. There's a narrow path that leads to life. There's a broad path that leads to destruction. You must choose every one of us, whatever path. We were born in sin. We have sin to repent of it. We are guilty before God. Saul chose one path, Jonathan another. You must choose that narrow path. Saul could have repented. Instead, over the course of his life, he fell into deeper and deeper sin. And by the end, he was defeated and without honor. So the choice this evening is whether or not you will knit yourself to the one true Savior. Whether or not you are going to enter into that covenantal love with the Savior. Jesus Christ offers his covenantal love, his, his, his gracious love to all. It doesn't matter your race, your age. He offers it freely. You must come to him. You must look to him. You must kiss the son, lest he be angry. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do again thank you for these examples from the Old Testament. By these examples, we know how to live. We also know how not to live. So I pray that these two men will serve as examples for us and that we'll learn from them. And I pray, too, that we'll see this this binary choice we have. We can choose one path or the other. I pray that for those of us in Christ, that we will be continually warning people to choose the better of two paths, to choose faith in 
Christ. For he died paying the penalty that all sinners deserve, and he rose again, showing that death could not hold him back, for he is God, he is righteous, and he is able to save. We pray in his name. Amen.